I heard a story once about a bunch of barnyard animals getting together, deciding they just loved their farmer so much that they were putting their heads together to try to decide what is the best way to show our appreciation. They decided breakfast in bed. The chicken was like, I got the eggs covered. The cow says, milk, it's on me. I'll have it there. Then they all look at the pig and say, some bacon would be nice. It's a little bit of a difference for the pig, you know? For everybody else, it was kind of just a small contribution. For the pig, he was going to have to be all in. Um, or else uh, maybe just kind of live with discomfort after. We've talked about what it looks like to live in faith. Today we look at what it means to die in faith. The different, different than our friend the pig that we we're talking about here was confronted with. Our option is living without our faith being realized. Living without seeing what it is that we have put our faith in, without seeing that dwelling of God, without seeing the very presence of God. We might certainly see many ways that our faith takes shape in a changed life, in in sensing the presence of the Lord, in God's Spirit testifying to our spirit. That we are children of God, as we're told about in Romans 8. But faith, as we have seen in Hebrews 11, is assurance of what we hope for. It is uh, conviction of what we do not yet see. Dying in faith is dying without seeing what it is that we've been putting our faith in. We saw last week how Abraham and Sarah both lived by faith in their relationship with God. It was, it was the, the context of their relationship with God was living by faith. This morning's passage doesn't begin with our typical by faith, but it, as we've seen, it begins instead talking about how these all died in faith. So we move forward in Hebrews 11, reading verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, the man-centered theology that that I often describe, uh, the, the false teaching that is common in the evangelical church, man-centered theology, the idea that, that God 
is centered around us, that the world is centered around us, that whatever it is that we desire or that we need, uh, that we think we need, that God's all about providing that with us. Man-centered theology. The lie that lies within it so often is that, uh, that, and, and the teachers that we are surrounded by with it, teach that, that if you live by faith, you'll get more from God in this life. You'll get more health. You'll get more wealth if you just live by faith in this life. Basically, from my understanding, the teaching here is my faith keeps me from experiences that actually require faith to live in them, to live them out. The people that teach this are selling something. Maybe it's a book. Uh, maybe it's ratings. Maybe it's, I remember getting in the mail one time, a, a paper prayer cloth or prayer rug that I was supposed to lay this rug on the floor and kneel on it and, and, and ask God for something. And then, of course, mail it back to them with a check included. And I'd be guaranteed that God was going to give me whatever it is I prayed for. They're selling something. These false teachers preach words that satisfy itching ears, but do not satisfy a hurting soul. The truth is this. Living by faith, this assurance of what is hoped for, this conviction of what we do not yet see, means that you should be prepared to die in faith. That's what we're told here. If we're like those great men and women of faith from Hebrews 11, be prepared to die still waiting to see God fulfill all that he says he will. You're not going to see it all in this life. Because we were made for another place. Be prepared to die in faith as wanderers. We're told these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These verses uh, further explain the faith of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, which have been mentioned in the passage prior to this. But I think they also summarize those people that will be described further in this chapter as well. I think it's relating their experience to that of Moses. Moses, who led God's people, Israel, out of Egypt after their 400 years of captivity there and and led them through the wilderness and there on the precipice, on the cusp of the promised land, was not able to enter. Standing outside the land of promise, this this land promised to Abraham's descendants, as we've talked about, seeing it. Greeting it from afar. These giants of faith died as strangers and exiles on the earth. We've seen on TV the exiles, the the refugees driven from Ukraine against their will. We we see those, we hear about those that, that enter our country, whether legally or illegally, looking for a better life. Strangers, 
Can you imagine if you were a stranger or an exile over the whole earth? Nowhere feeling like home? Now, there are a lot of things to love about our, our life on this earth. There are so many things to enjoy. Blessings that are ours that, that, that feel like home. But to think that God is all about just giving us more of that stuff is to miss the fact that all of these are just indications of what home with God in heaven is going to be far greater than. The line of God's promise to the Jewish people, it came through Abraham as we've talked about. And then to his son Isaac. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael first through a culturally accepted way of going about it, which was not God's way in that day. And we'll talk next week about uh, Isaac specifically as being the promised son. And Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And again, the cultural way to go about things would have been that Esau would have received the blessing of, of God's promise to his grandfather Abraham as passing through him, but it didn't. It passed through Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. You might have wondered, where did the 12 tribes of Israel come from? They come from the 12 sons of Jacob. And even as those promised a land and a special relationship with God, they wandered. They wandered. They never had a home. They, they were nomads, if you will. The, this map shows, if you can see it, the red line represents the wandering of Abraham all the way from the, the land of the Chaldeans where Ur and Babylon passing through Haran down into the little box there is, is the, um, the, the promised land. Uh, the the uh, Then you've got the journeys of Isaac in there around within the promised land, the journeys of Jacob all the way back up to Haran and such. And then they, they land down. Jacob ends his life in Egypt, where his son Joseph had been. And when he meets Pharaoh, Pharaoh asks him, how have been the years of your life? And he says, they have been long. They have been hard. I have been a sojourner for all of them. Incidentally, do you realize Israel was commanded by God to be kind to the sojourner? And the reason is, he said, because my people were sojourners on this earth. Something to think about. But this gives us the opportunity to look at what's said about these uh, men of faith in verses 20 through 22. Kind of, this is, this is what we're going to say about them, that we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. We're told in verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. As if you remember, his, his sons were Jacob and Esau. Isaac blessed his sons, Jacob. He, he blessed his son Jacob, believing that one of his sons would carry on the promise that had been made to his father, Abraham. In Genesis 27, Isaac says to Jacob, May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. 
Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. In faith, Isaac was passing on to Jacob the promise of his father Abraham that God had made to to him. We read in verse 21, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This is down in Egypt, where God's people had taken up residence. You can read in Genesis 48, the blessing of Jacob on Joseph's sons. It says, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. He's being Joseph's sons. And in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the the midst of the earth. Verse 22 mentions Joseph. Verse 22 of Hebrews 11 mentions the faith of Joseph. It says, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So Isaac mentions the, the promise that God made to Abraham that those who blessed his descendants will be blessed and those who curse his descendants Israel will be cursed. Jacob mentioned to in his blessing of Joseph's sons the fact that the passed on the blessing that God had made that their descendants would be a multitude over the earth as we see of the Jewish people and spiritually of us, the church. But Joseph mentions in his blessing or in his request before he dies, he mentions that Israel would take the land that had been promised to their forefather Abraham. And he says in Genesis 50, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Each of these men died in faith. Not having seen God's promise take full effect, but it did not weaken their faith at all that he would do what he had promised to do. These statements of faith had to do with the fact that God had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When these men were dying, they were saying, well, they they weren't saying, well, I, I guess God didn't keep his promise. I guess he's just not going to. And I'm really upset about it. Instead, they were saying, even in my death, I know that my God is faithful to his promise. That's dying in faith. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob all died without having received what they had been promised. They did get a glimpse of it. They saw it and greeted it from afar. But they knew that this world was not their home. They were only passing through. These were all looking toward the coming Redeemer, the one that God had originally told Eve 
After our, our original forefathers, Adam and Eve, allowed sin into this world, God originally told them that one day a descendant was going to come that would crush the head of the serpent. And these men and women of faith were looking ahead to the Redeemer that would come. In the same way, we look back at that Redeemer. We look back knowing that He took on our sin. That everything that we have have thought, everything that we have desired, everything that we have done or said that, that, that falls out of line with the righteous character of God, that Jesus took it on himself and he paid for it in his death on the cross. And, and us, in putting our faith in his sacrifice for ourselves, we can make good on the fact that he took our sin and offers us his righteousness. That we one day, that we now can stand in relationship with God as our Father, walking with Him, His Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we can know for a fact that we have a relationship with Him because of what He has promised. And as I mentioned from Romans 8, God's Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. But that we can also die in faith, knowing that God will greet us as His child. God will greet us into his family of which this that we enjoy as a body of believers is just a taste of it. Do you know Christ as your Savior? If so, you live and you will die in faith of what of what God has for you on the other side passing through that veil. You know, there's a big difference between a hiker and a hermit, right? I mean, I've never run across uh, a hermit like this. Um, I can say that, you know, a, a hiker loves the great outdoors. A hermit has made the outdoors their permanent home. Having grown up in Tennessee, I, I was trained in one thing. If you're hiking through the woods and you hear banjo music, run. Never happened to me, but I do know that's what you do. Like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, we're to be hikers in this world, passing through it. We're not to be hermits, setting up as if this world is our final home. We're told in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. When we look for in this world something that's going to make us feel alive, something that's going to finally meet our needs, we typically dive in to the passions of this world that wage war against our souls. But if we know my needs are not meant to be met in this world, my, my longing for intimacy, my longing for adventure, my longing for security, 
or appreciation. It's there, but it's not going to be fully met in this world. As C.S. Lewis put it, when we realize that our longings are not met in this world, it must mean that we were made for another place. It may be hard to hear that God's people are intended to be wanderers in this world. I want to know how many of you have been thinking about the the line from Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. Not all wanderers are lost. Not all wanderers are lost. It doesn't mean that we don't have a homeland. In fact, people of faith are wanderers here because we have a better homeland with God in His very presence. And we look to that. Secondly, I want to challenge you. Be prepared to die in faith as wanderers longing for a homeland. We read in verses 14 through 15, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. It's not that the Old Testament saints were just nomads who embraced a life of wandering. It's not that they were thinking of their homeland. Meaning for Abraham, back in the land of the Chaldeans, back in the city of Ur, He would have said, boy, it would have been nice to get back there. No. He was longing for a homeland that does not exist on this earth. In the same way, the Hebrew Christians reading this letter, they could not return to the religious practices of the temple. They could not go and and sacrifice and, and, and celebrate the way that their Jewish family were. They had been cast out from that. And they had been, been learning as they read, learning as they were doing, being discipled. There's no purpose in those sacrifices anymore because Christ is the final sacrifice. There is a temple, a tabernacle that we look forward to in the heavenlies where Christ has offered himself and no other sacrifice need be made. And like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were now wandering, looking toward that home and looking toward that ultimate expression of Judaism in heaven. Do we have any Kentuckians here? Grow up in Kentucky? Do any Illinoisans want to admit it? <laughs> Michiganders? What part are you from? Or I'm, I'm, do I have the right hand? I'm from East Tennessee, and and I know growing up in East Tennessee that you can tell I'm from East Tennessee, East Tennessee, uh, because I don't say Tennessee. People from West Tennessee say Tennessee. People from East Tennessee say Tennessee. So there's a little bit of information from you. I've learned that I can tell a Hoosier, an original Hoosier. I consider myself a Hoosier. But you know, the word literally, Hoosiers, you guys say literally. Uh, East, central Hoosiers, uh, we're the only ones that use the word pitch in. I actually heard that on an NPR Away With Words program. They, they said pitch in is only used, you know, talking about a potluck, a carrion, is only used in west central Indiana. Yeah. So, there you go. 
It's your thing. It's our thing. My wife, Kelly, she's a Scani, right? She's from Wisconsin. You know, we know what her mom says if she says, do you want to do this or no? You know, it means or not, you know. They don't just have stoplights. They have stop and go lights because they're very positive thinking. They wake up on, in, you know, for half of the winter or for half of the year, they wake up and think, which winter toy am I going to use today? Maybe even to get me to work. But man, I mean, they've got toys, like just a whole room of them for how do you, how do you spend the winter? We, we can feel like uh, we're from somewhere else. We can feel like this isn't my homeland, my hometown, but I can live here because I get to go back there. But as Christians, we are strangers and exiles in this world because we are made for another place. Not just coming from another place. We are made for another place. We too are people who have a homeland. And it isn't where we're living. It isn't the place that we could just return like Kentucky or Michigan or Wisconsin. Our homeland is a place we've never seen with our eyes. Yet we believe firmly in. This is normal for followers of Christ. His Holy Spirit is convincing us daily. And that's what we are living for. And we're longing for it because our Father lives there. And we know he is going to welcome us just as much as he walks with us now. Be prepared to die in faith as wanderers longing for a homeland. And that homeland is the dwelling of God himself. We're told, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When he talks about a better country here, literally, the original language is saying he's prepared for them a better one. Referring back to their homeland. He's prepared for them a better homeland. Like I said, it's not the one that you come from. It is the one that you were made for. In verse 10, we read about Abraham. It says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God himself. And because of the faith that these men and women had, we're told that God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, I think that specifically, that's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine the God of the universe presenting himself and saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not because of who these people were. These guys made some huge mistakes in their life. But it's because they had put their faith in the promises that God made to them. He, he, when Moses meets God in the desert, in the burning bush, God identifies himself saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And how amazing is it that Jesus' saving work makes it so that God is our God and our Father 
As he tells Mary Magdalene, after his death and resurrection in John 20, verse 17, go to my brothers and say to them, I am descending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Christ makes it, the death and resurrection of Christ makes it so that we have someone and something to put our faith in that allows us to be, to, for God to go by being our God and our Father. And we will enjoy with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob what they enjoy because their God is our God through Christ. And we'll enjoy their heavenly homeland together because it is our heavenly homeland as well. And it's described as having a new Jerusalem that these Hebrews could look toward. We can read in, he, in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And this is an amazing statement. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. That is living with God in our true homeland. You know, Revelation goes on to say, there will be no need for lamp. There will be no need for any external source of light. Because God himself will be our light. This describes a situation that is far better than sacrifices for their sins. Uh, that, the, that these Hebrew people were thinking about returning to. It is the restoration of all things that were before sin even existed. It is a restoration to that garden relationship in which man walked with God physically. Let's say you, you, you have a friend at school and he invites you over to his house. He's like, here's the address. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's the White House. You're like, that sounds familiar. You go driving up, there's a big gate. There's guys with guns. There's, there's a guard booth and a, and a, a, a you know, gate that's got to be raised up for you to, to go through it. As you're driving uh, closer and closer, you're thinking, are these guys thinking that I'm uninvited, that I've got you know, a bomb with me or something like that, or that I'm a threat? I've never done this before. And as you drive up to the gate, the guard simply steps out and says, Drive on through. We've been expecting you. We've been told to expect you. What does it look like 
to be prepared to die in faith as wanderers longing for a homeland which is the dwelling of God himself. It looks like walking right in. And just as we've been told in this life to come before the throne of grace boldly to find grace and help in time of need. That we would be driving right up, that we would be walking right up and saying, come on in. There is no restriction. There is no barrier between you and I. Do you know that God looks forward to having you with him physically? It looks like going through the ups and downs of life with our eyes and hearts set on Jesus. Looking back on his saving work for our identity and our definition. It it looks like looking ahead knowing that our best life is yet to come. Free from sin and pain. Anybody telling you that you can have your best life now is selling happiness in this world. And they're doing it to promote their own happiness in this world. And I feel sorry for them. I mentioned earlier that unfortunately there's plenty of teachers that tell people what we want to hear. That God is going to give you everything that you want in this life. That is just not true. Now God can certainly change what it is that you want so that what he's doing in this world rocks your socks. But these teachers teach that God's plan is to give you all the health and the wealth and that your faith can handle. Paul warns us against these types. And we'll close with this from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. Brothers, join me. Im- join in imitating me. <clears throat> And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now being a short guy, I imagine, I think that when he says He'll transform my lowly body means I'm going to be tall. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more. Let's bow our heads. Father God, this world is wonderful. The sunshine outside, to feel that on our face, to to experience the seasons, the love of family and friends, the laughter, the comfort, But Lord, life life with you is meant to be so much more than just what this world can offer. 
We thank you so much that we look forward to the day that you are going to restore all things to how you intended them to be before sin, before pain, before longing. But Lord, in the meantime, I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you. I pray, Lord God, that you would allow for us to look forward to walking with you on this earth and look forward to living in your presence for eternity. And if anyone here does not know what it means to have a relationship with you on this earth and therefore look forward to eternal life with you, I pray, Lord God, that you would knock on their heart. Lord, that they would yield to the work of your Son, having paid for their sins, that they would receive your forgiveness and enjoy a relationship with you as their Father. Lord, thank you so much for all that you offer and all that we have to look forward to in your presence. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.